0: So as I mentioned last week, the connection between John 9, where Jesus heals a man formerly born blind, and John 10, where Jesus begins seemingly out of nowhere, talking about sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds and so on and so forth, the connection is this, the Pharisees mistreat the sheep in John chapter 9. Here's this guy who believes in Jesus, and the Pharisees put him out of the synagogue. Jesus responds to that by talking about how he is the good shepherd and how he cares for the sheep in contrast to the Pharisees. So, this is the connection between John chapter 9 and John chapter 10. And Jesus uses a couple of analogies from shepherdry to describe himself and his work here in John chapter 10. A potential problem for our comprehension, however, is that Jesus mixes metaphors. Mixing metaphors is when someone uses metaphors that don't really make sense together. They're technically incongruous. An example I came across this week is from a speech given in Irish Parliament in which someone said, Mr. Speaker, I smell a rat. I see him floating in the air. But mark me, sir, I will nip him in the bud. <laughs> Take it on their own. Each metaphor makes sense. I smell a rat. Something is in the air. Nip it in the bud. You understand each one of those. Each one of them on their own works just fine, but mixed together, what comes out is technically incongruous. This is what is called mixing metaphors. Admittedly, however, we are. Make some sense of it. If you were there in Parliament that day, you would understand what the guy is saying. Even though technically, it doesn't all make sense together. Jesus likewise mixes metaphors in John chapter ten. He compares himself first to the shepherd of the sheep, and then he compares himself to the door of the sheepfold. And then he goes back and starts talking about himself as the shepherd again, taken on their own. Both metaphors make sense. I am the shepherd. We get that. I am the door. We get that. But trying to understand them together is somewhat harder. So let's just accept that Jesus makes his metaphors, which is a normal occurrence in human speech. It's not a sin or a flaw. It's just a common way of speaking. So let's just accept that Jesus does it. He's not speaking in a very technical and precise way here. He's speaking as a man to men in common everyday language, in common colloquialisms, which includes, at times, the mixing of metaphors. So let's just accept that Jesus does here mix metaphors, and then let's just take each metaphor on its own. When we're speaking about Jesus as the shepherd, we'll focus on that metaphor. When we're speaking about Jesus as the door, we'll focus on that metaphor. And don't worry too much about trying to harmonize Them by figuring out how it is that Jesus is the shepherd and the door at the same time. And today we are focusing on him as the door in verses 7 to 10. As Jesus himself shifts the focus from being the shepherd in verses 1 to 5 to being the door. This is indicated in the transition in verse 6, where we read that this figure of speech, namely, I am the shepherd... This figure of speech, Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So he's transitioning from using the shepherd metaphor to now he's using the door metaphor, and that's what we're focusing on this morning. And the first thing that we see as we open our study about Jesus being the door of the sheep, is that thieves and robbers are mentioned again. They were mentioned in the previous section, the first five verses of John 10 that we looked at last week. And here they are mentioned again in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. This phrase in verse 8 would make more sense to us if it followed verse 5 immediately. Go back and look at verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then as if verse 8 was there, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. That would make perfect sense to us, Mm wouldn't it? But Jesus... Says it after verse 7. I am the door of the sheep. Then he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Therefore, Jesus wants us to meditate on thieves and robbers, not only in relation to the Good Shepherd, but in relation also to the door. So let's look at the relationship of thieves and robbers to the door. A little more closely. Of course, Jesus wasn't referring to the Old Testament prophets when he says, all who came before me. For the Old Testament prophets had been sent by him who has been designated the great shepherd of the sheep, those given him by the Father in eternity past. Those Old Testament prophets had been sent by him, the great shepherd, as under-shepherds to truly care for God's sheep. They were not thieves and robbers. They were not those who Jesus is referring to in verse 8, as in all those who came before me. So the sense of it should probably be more something like this. All who came before me claiming to be saviors or messiahs. All who came before me trying to gather people to themselves... And called you to hope in them. All of those are thieves and robbers. No savior has shown up on the scene as yet. No messiah has shown up on the scene as yet. All who came before me claiming to be such are thieves and robbers. And once we understand that that's the sense of it. And we get who the people are that Jesus calls thieves and robbers. Impostors would-be messiahs and saviors, calling people to faith in themselves, once we understand who they are, it's easier to understand then the relationship of those people to the door. Jesus... um, Oh, sorry, pardon me. According to Leon Morris, the commentator, he says the meaning of Jesus' phrase appears to be that if people are to bring other people into God's fold. They must first enter it themselves. And the only way to enter is through the one door. These men, all who came before, right, the impostors, the would-be messiahs, the would-be saviors, these men declined to come to God through Christ. They therefore stand themselves as impostors. End quote. In other words what, what Morris is saying is that if Jesus is the door by which sheep go in and out, then anyone who is a legitimate shepherd whether the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus himself, or whether an under-shepherd like the Old Testament prophets who had in a sense, different sense, gone before Jesus anyone who is a legitimate shepherd would naturally be going in and out the door and call sheep through the doorway. If Jesus is the doorway, then under-shepherds will themselves have had dealings with Jesus. And will call the sheep to have dealings with Jesus. If someone sets himself up as a shepherd, however, but doesn't use the door, and doesn't call the sheep through the doorway, then he is evidently a thief and a robber. So again, I warn you as I did last week of thieves and robbers who make a claim to the sheep though they have no business doing so. Whether the anti-religious or the non-religious or those of other religions or even those bearing the label of Christian if they don't sound like Jesus as he has spoken to us in his word, run, as we saw last week. The sheep flee from the stranger's voice. If you are a sheep, run from the stranger's voice, though he claims to be a shepherd. If he doesn't sound like Jesus, as he has spoken to us by the apostles and the prophets, in his word, flee. And as we see in our text this week, If a teacher doesn't seem too concerned himself to enter by the door, who is Jesus? And if he doesn't seem to have much interest in calling you to go in and out through the door, who is Jesus? He is likewise a thief and a robber. Don't listen to him. The sheep do not listen to those who themselves do not come in and out through the door. And the sheep do not listen to those who call the sheep to bypass the door and supposedly go in and out another way. Throughout history, many voices have arisen promising good pasture without having to use the door. God's Messiah, Jesus. Jesus tells us that the sheep... Did not listen to them. Some did. Many did. There have been lots of false teachers throughout history who have gained something of a following. But the sheep did not listen to them. So in our day, there are voices promising good pasture without having to use the door. Who is God's Messiah, Jesus? And some listen. Many listen. Think about all of the voices out there promising good pasture without having to deal with Jesus. And consider that there are many who listen to them. They are thieves and robbers. And the sheep will not listen. If you are a sheep, do not listen. If you would be a sheep, do not listen to them. They are thieves and robbers. Don't be afraid to be in the minority who listens closely for the shepherd's voice and run from any voice that doesn't sound like Jesus speaking through the Holy Writ. Don't be afraid to be in the minority of those who don't listen to those not calling you through the door, but promising green pasture another way while bypassing the door. There are, there is such a thing as thieves and robbers. And if I may mix metaphors a little bit, wolves, there is such a thing as thieves, robbers, wolves, and some of them are in sheep's clothing. There are thieves and robbers and wolves who wear the Christian label. Be careful, Christian, not to follow just any voice. And be careful, Christian, not to follow just any voice that names the name of Christ and claims to be a Christian and uses the Bible. Get familiar with the voice of your shepherd, Jesus speaking to you through the apostles and the prophets in Scripture in order that you may be so familiar with His voice that you will be able to recognize a stranger's voice and flee. And keep your eyes, fix your eyes, as the author of Hebrews says, on Jesus as you run this race set before you. And be wary of any who tell you that you don't need to keep your focus on Jesus, that you don't need to use the door so to speak, that you may find green pasture another way. If someone hasn't themselves come to God through Jesus, and if someone is not constantly pointing you and directing you and instructing you to have dealings with Jesus on a regular basis then they aren't using the door and they manifest themselves to be thieves and robbers. Don't listen to that. With so many different voices out there, on TV, on the radio, on social media, we are exposed in our day and age probably to more varying voices than any generation previous. Obviously, there have been thieves and robbers around since time immemorial, but there, haven't, there hasn't been Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever else since time immemorial. There hasn't been CNN and Fox since time immemorial. There hasn't been the FM dial and the AM dial since time immemorial. We are exposed to probably more varying voices Than ever before. And so, if there ever was a need for discernment as to who are the true voices, who are the shepherds and the under shepherds, it is now. If Christ's church has ever needed discernment, it is now. So, accept the principle, the fact that there are thieves and robbers, accept the fact that there are wolves. Accept these things in general and get familiar how thieves and robbers operate according to Jesus here in John chapter 10 and elsewhere in scripture so that you can recognize them individually. Many don't like to call anyone a thief or a robber and they're almost pre-committed to the fact that no one is a thief or a robber, but that flies in the face of scripture, doesn't it? But then there are others who are willing to grant in principle that there might be thieves and robbers and that there might be wolves, but they're afraid to name any one person as one. Or you you begin to say, so-and-so is a thief and a robber. So-and-so is a wolf. So-and-so is a false teacher. So-and-so is a heretic. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I accept it in general. But let's let's not name names. Let's not call anyone individually a thief and a robber or a wolf but how are you going to avoid them if you don't know who they are if there are thieves and robbers out there if there are wolves out there and you know that but you don't know anyone who is you know that some voices are going to be false and misleading and dangerous but you don't know which ones and you're not willing to try to identify which ones how is that going to help you how is that going to guide you you need to not only grant in principle that there are thieves and robbers and wolves, but you need to be familiar with how they operate and what the definition of a thief and a robber and a wolf is so that you can avoid them. Otherwise, you'll end up in trouble. For thieves come only to steal and kill and destroy. We see this in verse 10. Does it ever end well for the sheep when a thief leads them astray from the shepherd and away from the fold. (coughs) Never. But D.A. Carson points out that the world still seeks its humanistic political saviors. It's Hitler's, it's Stalin's, it's Mao's, it's Pol Pot's, I I might add, it's Marxists. And only too late does it learn that they blatantly confiscate human property. They come only to steal. They ruthlessly trample human life underfoot. They come only to kill. And they contemptuously savage all that is valuable. They come only to destroy. And then Carson quotes from Roy Clements, who said, Jesus is right. It is not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is a myth, but the humanist dream of utopia. You see, there are voices that promise green pastures without dealing with Jesus. There are voices that say, you don't need to use the door. And they themselves have not used the door. And they tell you, you don't need to use the door either. I got in through to the sheepfold over the wall, and it worked fine. You can follow me back over the wall without going through the door and there's green pasture out there believe me but we've seen this trick many times throughout human history when will we learn that there is no savior but Jesus will we ever learn that it is only through Jesus that we may be saved and go in and out and find pasture, as Jesus says in verse 9. Only Jesus leads us to green pastures. The world either doesn't fulfill its promise of green pastures at all, as with the Hitlers and the Stalins and so forth, And you end up with barrenness instead of greenness and or the world gives us green pastures for a day for a fleeting moment. This is at best, at best, all that the self-help gurus, the philosophers, the moralists, and the like can do. At best make your life pretty decent for a short while. But in the end, you've been robbed. You've been killed. And all that God made you to be is destroyed. Believe Jesus when he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. In contrast to the thieves and robbers, Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly, as it says here in verse 10. No, this doesn't mean that you have money. This doesn't mean that you have health. Listen. Listen. This does not even mean that you're going to have a reasonably okay middle-class life. Ask Peter, crucified upside down because at his own request because he didn't view himself as being worthy to even be killed in the same manner as the Lord Jesus. Ask James, killed by Herod. Ask Paul, beheaded in Rome. Ask John, exiled as an old man far away from his loved ones. They had abundant life, but they knew it didn't mean health and wealth. They had abundant life, but they knew that it didn't mean a reasonably okay middle class life. To assume that abundant life means health, wealth, wealth good circumstances. Listen carefully here. To assume that abundant life means health, wealth, and good circumstances is simply to take a worldly view of what a good life is and then ask Jesus to provide that. We might as well start praying like this if we assume That abundant life means health, wealth, and good circumstances. Jesus, will you give me all my unsanctified desires, please? Jesus, will you be a servant of my misplaced priorities? I am as worldly as the next man. What I want is what every worldling wants. And Jesus, I turn to you to satisfy My carnal, worldly, unsanctified, misplaced desires. To assume that the abundant life means health, wealth, and good circumstances is merely to take a worldly view of what a good life is and then ask Jesus to provide that. What does God say a good life is? How about these descriptions? To fear God and keep His commandments. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. To be conformed to the image of his Son, Romans 8, 29. To know the only true God, to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, John 17 and verse 3. To make it our aim to please him, 2 Corinthians, Chapter 5 and verse 9. To have righteousness, peace, and joy, not in health, wealth, comfort, and ease, but to have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. To rejoice not in health, wealth, and comfort, and ease as the worldling does, but to rejoice in the Lord always. To have treasure, yes, But the treasure is the gospel of God's glory in the face of His Son, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we have this treasure in jars of clay, which means in our frail humanity. To show that the surpassing power at work in our lives belongs to God and not to us. To be afflicted in every way. But not crushed. To be perplexed, but not driven to despair. To be persecuted, but not forsaken. To be struck down, but not destroyed. To leave house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands for Christ's sake and for the gospel and to inherit, through new church-family relationships, a hundredfold now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mother and children and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. (laughs) To wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The last two references was Mark 10, 29 and 30, and 2 Peter 3:13. I could go on and on with descriptors of the Christian life, which is the abundant life, which is the pasture that Jesus gives you. You leave houses and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and lands. You're afflicted in every way. You're persecuted. You're struck down. But you have new church family relationships. You come to know God. In Christ whom He sent. Your inward desires are reoriented so that you make it your aim to please Him. Your inward desires are reoriented so you're not satisfied with the things of this world anymore. But you find deep and profound satisfaction in the Lord. This is the abundant life. This is the pasture that Christ came to give us, to lead us into. God's goal is not to get you into the driver's seat of a new car. God's goal is to let you ride along as a passenger in his, so to speak. Christian, God does love you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But it may not involve health, wealth, comfort, and ease. The abundant life that Jesus came to bring is not good circumstances to satisfy the worldling. The abundant life that Jesus came to bring starts with a new heart that will be satisfied in Him, whatever the circumstances. A heart that can say, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A heart that can rejoice in God always. Jesus came to give you the abundance of himself, and the righteousness, peace, and joy that comes from right relationship to God, our creator, through him. The heart that can only be satisfied with health, wealth, and comfort is a heart susceptible to the voice of false shepherds who promise you these things if you follow them. The heart that can only be satisfied with health, wealth, and comfort is a heart susceptible to disappointment when in the end, sooner or later, you don't receive what was promised or it dissipates and slips like sand through your hands the tighter that you grasp after. The heart in contrast the heart that longs for right relationship to God and the shalom the holistic well-being that comes from that right relationship with God. The heart that longs to know how to live in this world well. The heart that longs to know how to cope with this world's hurts, to rise to its challenges, to leave a meaningful mark, all the while honoring God and having fellowship with Him. This heart will find all of these things in Christ Jesus. This green pasture in Christ Jesus by entering by going in and out which is a Hebrew idiom for all the activities of life this heart will find this green pasture by going in and out living your whole life focused on in reference to by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you get to the pasture. Through Jesus. And in the end, when God makes all things new, surprise, you get health, wealth, and comfort, and ease too. In the sense that nobody will be sick or in poverty in heaven. But it's all through Jesus. Anyone who tells you otherwise is a thief and a robber. Anyone who tells you that you don't need to use the door is a thief and a robber who hasn't used the door himself and does not know God and has no abundant life. Jesus clearly wants us to know from what he has said in these few verses that we've studied today. Jesus clearly wants us to know that he is the only way to pasture and that the pasture that we have access to through him is good. Regarding the pasture's goodness, we are not losing out when we choose to go in and out to pursue all of life's activities in reference to Jesus. We're not losing out when we choose To go in and out through the door. Jesus Christ. When we reorient our lives around Him. When we trust His life to be the righteousness that we never could have earned. When we trust His death to be the propitiation we never could have offered up for ourselves apart from our own suffering in hell. When we receive Him as He is, as both Savior and Lord and adjust our lives accordingly. When we shift our trust and our locus of authority away from ourselves to Jesus, when we trust in Him, resolve to obey Him, honor Him, and receive that all He came to be and do for us, we don't lose out. The pasture is good. It's an abundant life. And regarding to the, way, the way to the pasture, Jesus is the only way. All other leaders are thieves and robbers. All other ways are missteps. It's about as probable that an inmate in a prison will find greener pastures by climbing over the barbed wire fences at a maximum security prison with armed guards on the towers as that a sheep will find greener pastures by following a thief and robber over the wall. Through Jesus, Jesus alone, you may truly have abundant life. Brothers and sisters, neighbors, friends, you must use the door.